The following audio is recorded at Stone Oak Bible Church and is a part of our series in 1 Corinthians. For more information about our church or for more resources, visit us at stoneoakbible.com. Marriage Counseling 101. Ready? No, you have no idea where I'm going with this. There are few things in a marriage that will destroy it quicker, few things that will just tear it to pieces, than when uh, spouses take conflict in the marriage and they make it public. They broadcast. When, when, um, When a spouse will take the dirty laundry about the other and just air it, right? You know what I mean? Uh, an example, let's say, uh, you know, when a husband tears down his wife publicly, just says things, just open, like, she's the worst. She's so hard to live with. She just nags. She's just, she doesn't parent the way I want her to. You should be cringing right now, by the way, on Mother's Day. How dare me say these things? Um, this is so harmful to a marriage. It is so harmful to a marriage. It, it destroys trust, and it causes the world to think less of our spouse. Uh, and as we think about this scripturally, we know that when a husband and wife come together, the two become one and, and one flesh. So when you insult your spouse, scripturally, you're insulting yourself, right? You're tearing down yourself when, when others think little of your, of your spouse. Now, I know there are a lot of complexities that go into this. This is not marriage counseling. Uh, I know there's a lot of things that, that come into this, but we all know how destructive it can be to tear down our spouse publicly. And let me just throw in a little, um, before we move forward, you could be right. <laughs> she could be hard, That husband could be right. She could be difficult, right? You could be spot on, but I don't care if it's true. We are called as as husbands and spouses to love each other the way Christ loved the church, to give ourselves for each other, to speak well of each other. And listen, you may be dealing with conflicts because all spouses are imperfect, except for mine, Right? All spouses are, are imperfect, um, and so we will deal with these, but as we go through the process of dealing with conflict, as we do this, as we navigate this, we protect the way we speak about each other. Amen? Amen. All right. We protect it. We protect the reputation. And here's, here's my point. We understand, we understand that, that publicly tearing down our spouses is not the best idea for our marriage. All right? We understand this. In the context of marriage, we get this. But here's what Paul is setting before us today. The same is true with the bride of Christ. The same is true in the church. The way that we handle conflict and struggle in the church is incredibly, incredibly important. Too often, I think we're too much like the husband who publicly badmouths his wife. And I just want to give away the entire sermon right at the beginning, all right? It doesn't mean you can tune me out, but I'm going to give it away. Here's where we're going. We as the church have all of the power, all of the ability that we need to love each other well, to deal with conflict well, 
to, to deal with each other's shortcomings, to struggle through sin. We have all that we need. We, we have the power to handle sin in the church well in a way that glorifies God, in a way that makes much of Jesus Christ, and in a way that builds each other up. We have the power and the ability to do that because we're indwelled by the Spirit of God and given this power by Christ himself. That's where we're headed. All right. This is so important because if we get this wrong, if we get this wrong, it will have tremendous, tremendously negative consequences for the church. And if we get this right, when we see this, and we will be able to have to take opportunities of struggle and use them as opportunities to showcase the glory of God as the church models the way that we handle sin and the way that we handle conflict. So just a disclaimer here, if you're here and you're a follower of Jesus this morning, this text may hit you right in between the eyes. It did me. And if you're here and you are not yet a follower of Jesus, I'm so glad you're here. And and you're going to get a front row seat to our heart as the church this morning. You're going to get a glimpse of our heart for each other, no matter what your background is With the church, I hope that this morning, through our time, that you are drawn to Jesus Christ. That is my hope. That is my prayer. And so, to that end, let's let's look at First Corinthians six. We're going to start right in chapter in in verse one. When one of you has a grievance against another, does he dare go to law before the unrighteous instead of the saints? So let me just uh, remind us of our context this morning. So um, we're coming off of a powerful text last week in chapter 5 where you would see that, that this church, there was a situation that arose, a difficult situation that arose in this church where, where there was a man who was engaging in open, ongoing, inappropriate sexual relationship with his stepmother. Um, and Paul writes this letter to address this situation. But what we talked about last week is chapter five was not written as a rebuke to this man for his sin. Now, of course, Paul does not condone this. He does issue his judgment on this, but 1 Corinthians chapter five was not written as a rebuke to this man for his sin. It was written as a rebuke to the church for how they were handling this man and this sin. Paul says you are arrogant, you are prideful in the way that you're accepting and your tolerance. Even the lost world around you, Paul says, is looking at you and going, what on earth? I don't, we don't even tolerate that, and yet you, you do. And so he's rebuking this church, lovingly reminding them of how to handle tough situations in the church. And he first points us off that he says, we as the people of God should be broken for sin. Paul says in chapter 5, are we not to mourn? And then from that heart, we speak truth and love, we address sin, and Paul says, for the purpose of restoration. Paul said uh, that their soul might be saved in the day of the Lord. So now here, Paul looks at this, looks at messy situations like this, and he says, when one of you has a grievance against one another, does he dare go to law before the unrighteous instead of the saints? In other words, church, are you not instead to go to each other? Are you not to come to each other and realize that we are the people of God indwelled by the Spirit, given what we need to handle our business? Paul says, Why would you go outside to those who do not know God's word, who do not know God's truth? 
Why would you go outside to settle grievances? And now in verses two and three, he's going to ask some rhetorical questions that are going to kind of build on this, drive this home a little bit more. Or in verse two, or do you not know that the saints will judge the world? And if the world is to be judged by you, are you incompetent to try trivial cases? Do you not know that we are to judge angels? How much more then matters pertaining to this life? Now, if there were ever an opportunity for a rabbit trail this morning, that would be it, right? Like judging angels, what? Judging the world, we're not supposed to do that, right? Like there's, we read this in, okay, if you ever get bored on a Friday night, just grab commentaries on this for, I know that's what you do on your Friday nights when you're bored, but grab a commentary on this verse because what you'll see is, is you will find so many theories put forth on each of these rabbit trails. Some are really good, some that I think are probably more likely, um, but pages and pages have been dedicated to this, what does Paul mean exactly? What specifically is he referring to? Um, but here's the issue. To focus here with our time on, on these statements is, is to kind of miss the forest for the trees, in a sense. It's, it's to miss the grand and obvious point that Paul is trying to make. So follow me. Paul says, aren't you not to judge the world? That's a huge statement. Massive calling, massive statement. Would you agree? And then Paul says, and yet you're incompetent to judge trivial, trivial matters. Big statement, incompetence. Second part, are you not to judge angels? That's bigger, a massive calling, right? And then he says, and yet you're unable to handle matters of this life. Paul is making a point. He's telling this church, you are missing it. You have the power that you need to handle things in a way that glorifies and honors God, and yet you're overwhelmed by these trivial things. I want you to think about this. This is a, maybe an example that'll, that'll connect. Um, it's like Paul is looking at a marathon runner. He looks at the marathon runner and says, I know, aren't you not going to run 26.2 miles and you're struggling with a 5K, right? This is the idea that Paul puts forward here. Um, here's the reality, and I wanna, I wanna dwell on this for a little bit. Um, as we have been in these texts the last several weeks, often I think we can struggle to fully grasp our calling as the church. We know we're not a club, we're not a social club, we're not a social justice cause, we know we're not a concert that you go to on the weekend, right? We know these things, but, but hear me, we're so much more than this, and we must get this if we're going to track with what Paul is laying down. And so I, what I want us to do is uh, to bring out, bring to light some of the things in this text in, in 1 Corinthians 6. I want us to go to two places. You don't have to turn with me, but if, you, if you're competitive and you think you can get there fast enough, we're going to be in Matthew for both of them. Um, but I want to highlight uh, some things that Jesus lays out, uh, talking specifically about what we're looking at in 1 Corinthians 6. We're going to start in, um, let's look in Matthew 16. Matthew 16. Now, when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say that the Son of Man is? And they said, 
Some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, others Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. Now, Jesus hears this and pushes them deeper. Verse 15, and he said to them, but who do you say that I am? And here comes this beautifully supernatural, spirit-inspired response. Simon Peter replied, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. Verse 17, and Jesus answered him, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. Then listen to this church. And I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock. Now, we talked about this before. The rock here is not Peter the person. It's Peter's proclamation. It says, on this rock, the rock is the Christ, the Son of the living God, the proclamation that Peter just made. He says, on this rock, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. So as a pastor's job, it's not your job to build the church. It's not even to build this church. That's not our job. Our calling is to make disciples and the work of Jesus is to build his church. And what I love is this text reminds me that what he builds, he builds well. The gates of hell itself will not prevail against it. And I love, I love this. Jesus says, I will build my church. The gates of hell will not prevail against it. Then he adds, in verse 19, I will give you the keys, keys of the kingdom of heaven. And then listen to this. And whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. And whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. What on earth is that? And why would Jesus bring this binding, loosing language into this context? Like it's, it seems like I was tracking with you with the whole gates of hell won't tear us up, but this, like, where are you going? Um, church, this is a statement of authority. This is a statement of authority that the church, the people of God, collectively have been given authority by Jesus Christ himself. And when I say the church, hear me, I'm not only referring to pastors, leaders, deacons, staff. No, I, I, I'm saying the church meaning you and, and me, us together. That the church, the people of God have been given authority. And Jesus says, what you bind here now will be bound, and what you loose here now will be loose. What this means is what you decide here, what you decide here through the power of the Spirit in you, what you decide, the judgment call that you make as the people of God carries authority, not because of you, but because of him who is in you. Now, let me drive this even, even more. Um, especially this binding and loosing language, because I want you to turn, if you're turning with me, a few pages over to Matthew 18. Matthew 18. Now, last week, we looked briefly at verses 15 through 17, because Jesus here is laying out instruction on how to handle sin, how to handle church discipline. Uh, it's such a powerful verse. Jesus says, if your brother sins against you, go tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he listens to you, you have gained your brother. But if he does not listen, take one or two others along with you that every charge may be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. Now, if he refuses to listen to them, verse 17, tell it to the church. And if he refuses to listen even to the church, let him be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector. Again, um, 
to help you unpack this more, I encourage you, take a listen to last week. We spent some time kind of unpacking that together. But then listen to what Jesus adds. Notice how familiar this sounds. Truly, I say to you, verse 18, whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Again, I say to you, if two of you agree on earth about anything they ask, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. For where two or three are gathered in my name, there I am among them. This is in the context of church discipline. So as I was studying this, this week, like light bulbs just started coming on. Jesus says, hey, as you deal with sin and conflict in the church, as you're dealing with that, you have all that you need, all the power that you need, all of the authority that you need because of Christ to handle, handle our business in a way that is honoring to the Lord, loves each other well, showcases the love of Christ to the community around us. Jesus said, whatever you decide together as a church, whatever you bind or loose, whatever you decide carries authority. Not because of you, again, don't get a big head. It's because of the authority in you through Jesus Christ. This is the authority that Jesus gives the church when we come together. He says, for when two or three are gathered in my name, there I am among them. Church, our authority is Jesus Christ. He is our authority. And when we gather in his name, we have been given that authority. We have been given that authority to decide on matters and to handle our business well. To ignore this or to give away our authority on this is to misunderstand what Jesus has called his church to be. And, and to, to miss this and, and is to set forth a pretty lousy representation of Christ before our community. Now, are we always going to do this perfectly? No, no, we need grace just as much, most of the time, more, right? But this is our calling. This is our calling. And picking up on this, back in 1 Corinthians 6, verse 4, it says, so if you have such cases, why do you lay them before those who have no standing in the church? It's an excellent question. It's a logical question, right? If you have everything you need, why are you going out? Why are you going out? Why on earth are you acting like you're ill-equipped to handle this? Why are you acting like you don't have what you need and instead you're going and you're just laying out your conflicts before the world? Paul says in verse five, I say this to your shame. He's being very clear. I say this to your shame. Can it be that there is no one among you wise enough to settle a dispute between uh, brothers? But brother goes to law against brother so that, and that before unbelievers. Paul says, this is to our shame. Is there no one wise enough among you? Is there no one who, who is able through the spirit and God's word to, to handle these situations in a way that brings restoration? Is there no one among you? He says, this is to our shame. This is to our shame. It's to our shame because Christ, again, has given us the authority, the power, everything we need to be able to handle these things well. And instead, we set it before our lost community. 
and we say, we don't got this. It's not a great representation of Christ before our community's eyes. And Paul says in verse 7, it sums this up really well, to have lawsuits at all with one another is already a defeat for you. Um, Paul says, look, to take your mess before the, the world to try to win your case, whether you win or lose, before the verdict even is issued, you lost. It's a defeat for you because it even got to that point. This is a defeat for you because the fact that you, the church, alongside of another brother and sister, could not come together by the power of God in us to settle this, to handle this, when Christ has already told you, you have all the power you need. And then to take it, this is a defeat. Now, Paul brings up a word here that is going to inspire us to a yet another rabbit trail, and that, world is, that word is lawsuit. So we read this and we think, is it, is it okay for a Christian to engage in a lawsuit? Is, is, it, is this just dealing with suing Christians? Like, is it okay for me to sue lost people? Right? I know you. I know what you do. Um, Listen, the point of this text is that the church would live into the power that Christ has given the church to live into. That we as God's people are equipped to handle sin in the, the camp. This is not a God saying, thou shalt not file suit. It doesn't say that. But Paul, what he is saying is if it gets to that point, church, it is already a defeat for the bride of Christ. If it gets to this point, we should be broken and we should pursue restoration between each other. We shouldn't read this and ask, okay, when is it okay for me to file? All right, we, that, no. We should read this and say, we should see the power of God in the church to handle sin better than this. We, ha- we can have some truly awesome conversations about special situations in the church where, wait, would a lawsuit work here? No. Like, we could do that, and that might be, that might be fun for some of us, but let us not mi- mi- uh, miss the bigger picture. And the bigger picture is that to have to take our interpersonal business before a secular court is a defeat for the church. It's a defeat for the church. It's an acknowledgement before the world that we are unable through the spirit, through the power of Christ in us to handle conflict well. This is why Paul says in verse 7, why not rather suffer wrong? Why not rather be defrauded? In other words, isn't it better to take a hit on, a, on the chin than to give up the power that Christ gives us in Matthew 18? Is it not better to take it on the chin than to destroy the reputation of Christ in your community? Is it not better to be defrauded? But in Paul's, instead, Paul says in verse 8, but you yourselves wrong and defraud, even your own brothers. And there's the heart of it, right? In, in our attempt to protect ourselves, we actually destroy the reputation of another brother, which is nonsense, which is nonsense. Think of the marriage thing again. Like if we are one, one body, to insult the body is to insult ourselves. This makes no sense. To destroy the bride, to protect our own interests. We're destroying the relationship. And the same is true for the body of Christ. 
The same is true. Not only are, are we insulting the bride of Christ, but be, by doing that, we're actually insulting ourselves. Because we are one. We are one body. It's like standing up here and being like, how disgusting is my leg right now? It makes no sense. It makes no sense, but that's what we do. We're insulting ourselves. And not only that, but we are, hear me, we are damaging the reputation of Jesus in our community. And I want us to really dig into this this morning. We are damaging the reputation of Christ in our community. Our prayer is that the lost community would look at the church and be drawn to Jesus Christ. That is, that is what, we, what our prayer is. Because not only are we calling people to Jesus, which we are, but in doing that, the nature of that call is we are calling them to join in with the people of God. And to call them to Christ at the same time insulting the people of God is hindering our witness, destroying our testimony, and crippling our ability to share our faith in our city. And church, this leads us, this has to lead us to, to ask and answer some difficult questions. Um, how do we talk about the church? How do we handle conflict in the church? And, and these are big questions, but... They come in two parts. Number one, we need to, to think about this and ask and answer this question about those in our local church. Now, let me explain what I mean. Um, how do I talk about my local church? Now, for those of you at Stone Oak Bible Church, this is Stone Oak Bible Church. How do I talk about Stone Oak Bible Church, our local church, our community? Let me be honest with you. Um, my hope is, is that you talk about our church in a positive light. And um, not because we're perfect, we're not. Uh, not because we're the best church in town, because that's ridiculous. Um, but because I would hope that none of us would do anything that would hurt our ability to proclaim the gospel to our community. I would hope that we would protect our witness for Christ. This doesn't mean we ignore sin. In fact, it's the opposite. It means that we handle sin well, that we address it, we build each other up, we protect our testimony before our community. This means that we face conflict. This means that we don't go running to share conflict. In other words, uh, on Monday morning, if you were to go and sit in your office and, and talk to your, your desk mate and be like, you know what? I go to church with this moron. Like, he just cannot get his life together. Like, I don't understand, right? This, we cannot do this. This is attacking the bride. It's attacking the bride. It's talking poorly against the bride. And in doing so, it's hindering our ability to share the gospel. We, we Jesus says, to approach the person we have issue with, go directly to them out of love. That's what we're called to do, not to broadcast it to the world, right? Do you follow me? All right, some of you. Um, we protect our church, not because I'm asking you to protect our church. We protect our church because you are the church. You are the church. And, and it's my hope that we do everything to protect our witness for Christ in our community. Um, but church, that's the easy part. This is the easy question. Um, by and large, I think we get this. But um, let, me, let me push on this because... The second part of this is a little more difficult. 
How about those brothers and sisters who are outside of our local church? Um, how do you, how do we talk about the other local churches? Uh, this one gets hard. This one gets difficult because, um, let me just put this before you, this is something that the Corinthian church didn't have to deal with. In, in Corinth, there was the church. There wasn't first, second Baptist, Presbyterian, Lutheran, Pentecostal, Methodist, um, Bible church, fellowship, community, missional. There wasn't, no, it was the church. There was one. That is not the case for us today. Today, we are a part of a local church in a community of many local churches. And um, what happens when we don't get along? What happens uh, when there's conflict, when there's disagreement? What, what, what happens? What, how do we talk about the church across the street? More specifically, how do we talk about the church across the street when we happen to disagree with the church across the street? How do we do that? I just want to put this before you. We got to get better at doing that. Um, we have to get better. One of the top questions for people who are outside of the church, who come to church for the first time, is they, they say, why on earth are there so many denominations and churches and divisions? Like, if you can't get along and agree on something, and they're right in a lot of a lot of ways, they're, they are absolutely right because the community is watching the way we handle our disagreements. They are watching. Are they being pointed to Christ through it or are they being driven away by it? We must get better at this. We must get better at this. Um, I wanna ask a question that, that I just wanna put this before you because I think this is gonna help us as we think about answering this question. Will what I'm about to say or do hurt or help the reputation of Christ in our community? Will what I'm about to say or what I'm about to do, will it hurt or will it help the reputation of Christ in my community? That is above and beyond. That is our grand focus. The reputation of Jesus Christ above all else, that they would see him, that they would know him, that they would be driven to him. It is all about him, and without him, we should go home. Amen? We should just go home. And so we need to ask ourselves, is what I'm about to say, is it going to, what's it going to do to the reputation of Jesus Christ in my community? Is it going to hurt the reputation of Christ and his bride, or will it strengthen it? Uh, hear me, our grand goal here at Stone Oak Bible Church is not to make much of our name, not to build a brand. Uh, it's not like our church is like in competition with other churches. That's ridiculous. It doesn't make sense. It's nonsense. Our church, our, uh, our goal is to make much of Jesus Christ. That is it. And to belittle the bride in order to do that Makes no sense. It def it's self-defeating. We're hurting ourselves. We're working against the very mission that Jesus gave us. We're working against, and we cannot afford to do it. Now, I want to be very transparent, um, and I want to be very careful as I am being very transparent. There are churches in our community with whom I have disagreements. There are 
churches in our community that I struggle with. I think there are certain churches in our community that do a poor job of handling scripture. I think there are certain churches that, that I just don't believe they're doing a good job of faithfully handling the gospel. Let me put it a different way. There are certain churches that I would not be super excited about if I found out that you went to. That being said, I have to be so, so, so careful. I'm not going to bend on my convictions in Scripture. I'm not going to do that. But I have to be so, so careful to guard the way I talk about them before you, before our community. I have to be so careful because I can do a great job of showing people, proving to people why they're wrong, why they're not right in the way they do things. I can do a great job of just tearing it apart, showing you why they're wrong, and in the process, do nothing but hurt the reputation of Christ in our community. That's not worth it. That is not worth it. We cannot do anything to hurt the testimony of Jesus Christ. We cannot. Our call is not to build the church. As we said, our call is not even to build our church. That's Jesus' job. He says, I will build the church. We're called to make disciples of Christ. Since that's our call, since that's our call, we have to ask ourselves the important question of what will my actions do? for the cause of Christ in my community? What will my words do? And I believe we need to ask ourselves, how have I been like the husband that I described at the beginning? How have I been, like, have I damaged the reputation of the bride? Have I spoken poorly about her to others, even if she deserved it? Have I hurt the reputation of the bride that Jesus loves and died for and purchased and loves more than we can fathom? Will I help or will I hurt? What I'm, is what I'm about to say going to hurt the reputation of Christ? And if it is, we must stop. We must stop, we must repent, and we must seek a different way. Now, let me be very clear. This does not mean that we will agree on everything because we won't. This does not mean that we lay aside everything we hold to scripturally, that we lay it aside for the sake of unity because that's, we can't do that because if we put aside everything we stand on, we have nothing to stand on. I'm not calling us to do that. Um, however, this is a call to look at every situation in front of us and ask ourselves, how can I best represent Christ in our community? How can I best make make much of him and his name and his, his bride? How can I do this? Now, in some cases, our differences are going to be substantial. You, you may differ on an understanding of scripture. You may differ on doctrine, key aspects of the gospel. And this is a big deal. And we don't sacrifice what we believe for the sake of unity, amen? We don't, we don't do this, but our differences are substantial. In some cases, and in many cases, they're preferential. Like we, they do things different, and I think it's weird, and I don't like it. Like they do certain things, I just do not understand. Like why would you do that? And and we look at it, and I found that most of the time our differences fall into this category, and that's real. That's that's real. Um, but in in other cases, maybe, maybe it comes from hurt. Another church has someone in the church, in that church has hurt you, and there's pain there. 
There can be a lot of different reasons why we don't see eye to eye. And in each of these cases, in each of these cases, our response our, to that is probably going to look different. This is where we pray for wisdom on how to handle this thing. But it, our, our actions will probably differ. But hear me, in each of these cases, our goal must be the same. In whatever it, it comes our way, the goal must be the same, to make much of Jesus Christ and to do nothing to harm the testimony of his gospel in our community. That's our goal. That's our goal. So how do we do that? How we must ask ourselves, both inside and outside of Stone Oak Bible, how do we demonstrate our love for Christ in the midst of conflict? How do we demonstrate our love for each other in the midst of conflict? conflict. Jesus says in John 13, they're going to know that you're mine by the way you love each other. They're going to know. In other words, the world's going to look at the church and go look at the love they have for each other. They, there's something different. They must be different. Um, this alone, the way the church handles each other should be a testimony in and of itself to our community, that we belong to Jesus. It should strengthen the reputation of Christ in their eyes. This was the plan of God. This is Jesus' plan that he gave us. They will know us because of this. And so church, do they see Christ in the way we love each other, in the way that we deal with conflict through the good and the bad, just like a marriage? Are you strengthening the reputation of Christ? I told you at the beginning I was going to give away my whole sermon um, that, that we have all of the power, the ability, the authority. We have what we need to deal with conflict, to rebuke, to deal with each other's shortcomings, to handle sin in a way that glorifies God, in a way that makes much of Jesus, in a way that builds, builds each other up. We have the power and the ability to do that well as the people of God indwelled by the Spirit. And so as we close, because this is true, I want us to ask ourselves some questions. How can God use me this week to handle conflict or sin in a way that honors him? How can God use me today to strengthen the reputation of Jesus Christ in my community? How can God use you today as the church to love your fellow brothers and sisters well? In what ways do you need to repent for the way that you have dealt with another brother and a sister? Inside or outside of this local church? In church, how can God use us collectively to be better witnesses for Jesus Christ in our community through the way we love each other, through the way that we handle business, the way we talk about each other, the way that we handle sin. Let them see Jesus when they look at us. Church, would you pray with me? God, as we look at your word, um, I, I just pray that you bring conviction to each one of us for ways that we can represent you better. God, that they would see us in the way that we love each other through good and bad and tough and whatever, that they would see our love for each other and know that we are your children. 
and that they would be drawn to Jesus Christ through not only our message of good news, but God, our, our life as we love each other well in a way that just doesn't make sense apart from your grace and your goodness and your gospel. And God, I just pray that you help us to do that well. I pray that you help us to live this out. Show us ways that we can build up the church, not only here at Stone Oak Bible Church, but God, would you show us ways that we can build up your people as the bride of Christ, unified under your gospel, under the same mission, the same savior, the same power, the same authority. And God, we, we give you glory for it. And we pray that you use us, that you use us here at Stone Oak Bible Church to be a light for you in our community, to make much of you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.